welcome to Two Fools Trying to Make a Musical, about two fools trying to make a musical. To stay up to date on news, share your thoughts and opinions, and generally spend more time thinking about this, you should please visit twofoolstrying.com. That's T-W-O foolstrying.com. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Fools Trying. Last time on Two Fools Trying to Make a Musical. And this is where you're going to edit in, by my request, the first few measures of Huey Lewis and the News back in time. <laughs> That's I had one good idea in concept in 2007. Correct. And another one in 2020 about doing That's a right. podcast. I had a eureka moment this morning. And I, we have not talked about this yet. I had an idea that made me sit bolt upright in bed as I was lying here this morning, knowing that we were doing this later. Because, yeah, your musical history so far has not been helpful. No. Well, I like to, as you said at the beginning of this episode, I just sound like I know what I'm talking about. So so next time we're going to talk about structure. Is that right? Yes. Structure that would be, of... That would be fine. Yeah. Okay. Structure of musicals and our musical. Yes. That was the last episode. Now on to the next one. Okay. Well, welcome back, Steve. Welcome back, Joe. How has your time away from the last podcast been? Uh, quarantining. The children got into a laughing, screaming fit last night. And someone commented on Melissa's Facebook post about it. They look broken. So, <laughs> referring could, to my children. Could they hear them through Facebook? Was it that loud? Uh, she did make the video. Yeah. <laughs> So feel free to check that out, and then you'll know how I've been doing. I, I will do that. But generally fine, thank you. Generally fine. This is good news. Hi, I'm Joe Hollings. And I'm Steve Patton. And welcome back to... Two Fools, trying to make a musical. Let's see how we do this time. <laughs> there's always hope. Well, as long as there's hope. So far. Well, last time we gave a nice history lesson of how our idea your idea of first ladies came to be and a little biographical information from us both. Yes. A and today we decided to talk about structure of musicals. Sounds good. Let's hear about it. Cause I understand you've done your homework. Well, I did some reading and thinking about different types of structures. And there is of course the idea of a linear plot Sounds important. Which seems to work quite well <laughs> yeah. for, for many. <laughs> then, of course, there are examples like a chorus line. A quick trip back to Explanation Corner. A chorus line was the 1975 Broadway hit with killer music by Marvin Hamlish and lyrics by Edward Claben, with a book by James Kirkwood Jr. and Nicholas Dante. It is a show about a bunch of Broadway dancers, performers, who are auditioning for a chorus line or a line of dancers in a show that is never named. You hear various stories about how the dancers got to where they are, and there isn't so much a plot as the unfolding of the experience of an audition. The opening number that we reference in a few moments, I Hope I Get It, quickly establishes the singer's desires to be cast in a chorus line that right. still have a drive 
And they still have this idea of conflict and a, a question that's looming in the background. The audition. The audition. I hope I get it. Right. But not a plot. But not a plot. Right. And then, of course, there are plots that jump around and they're not linear. Well, they are linear, but perhaps not forwardly moving. So merrily we roll along. Merrily we roll along with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and a book by George Firth was based on the George S. Kaufman and Moss Hart play from the 1930s. The idea was that it starts at the end and goes backwards. That's all I have to say on that show. Okay. Which, as we know, is one of Stephen Sondheim's most popular musicals. I, I think I saw it once, maybe. Is that the one with the, oh, no, I'm thinking of a little night music. I saw that one once. Yeah, I've never seen that one, although I do know that every song is in three in that one. Okay. And I've never seen Merrily We Roll Along. So this is about how we learn things, right? That's right. This you, is <laughs> <laughs> You know a thing, and I don't, and I know a thing, and you don't, and somehow we think a conversation is a good idea. <laughs> This, this is right. We are making it up as we go along. Merrily we roll along with this conversation. So far. Yeah, well, we are kind of going backwards. We are regressing in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. So we've got different structures. So we've got different structures, some some that go forward, and, and some of the... I will say, it seems, and I don't know whether this is of major concern to us at this juncture, but some of the most successful... And by successful, I'm thinking bums on seats, lovey, bums on seats. <laughs> Musicals. That, that was my ode to the West End of London theatrical persona. Yeah, I didn't get the reference, but again, it sounded English, so I There you it. go. It sounded good. Most of those seem to be linear in direction and plot. The Rodgers and Hammerstein stuff, even the Bernstein West Side Story stuff, linear plot. Hamilton. Right? Lame is. There's something... Phantom. Phantom. There's a story, and people care about stories. Right. But let, let me... I, I want to back up a second, because I actually have a question for you, because I think you've hinted at this to me in the past, but I don't think we've ever really talked about it. All right. Uh, just before we even get into structure, just the idea of a musical itself. I, I think that you have alluded in the past, or hinted, that... Um, you think what I think all of us know to be true is that the musical in general is the most absurd art form that there is. Like you're doing a thing and suddenly people just start singing a song. Yes. Is that what you think? <laughs> Maybe we should get that out of the way before we write. Perhaps after a glass of wine or two, I will happily say that, but I'm, I think I'm being pro provocative. Uh-huh. By saying that, I, I actually love many musicals, not not all, but, um, you know, I love musicals because, and I love being in the theatre and being um, absorbed into a storyline and absorbed into how characters do what they do um, and engage me and make me fall in love with them and make me cry and me laugh. And I, I love that. The notion of being in a theatre and listening to that is fantastic. But the concept of musical theatre, in the cold light of day, right. is ridiculous. Right. Well, you know, and I think it's most ridiculous 
in the structure that you just talked about, the linear one. Because if you go back to, say, the Rodgers and Hammerstein era, so you're talking Carousel, <clears throat> you're talking uh, Oklahoma, right? Yeah. I mean, those are shows when, in the 50s and 60s, when a night at the theater meant a night at the theater. Oh, yeah. I mean, those shows went on forever, but they were all plot-driven. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it seems like those shows, you would watch a scene, and then there'd be a song, and that's the end of the scene. And then you'd watch a scene, and then there'd be a song, and that's the end of the scene. And maybe there'd be a scene without a song in it, but pretty much songs happened at the close of scenes, and and that was it. Yeah, I would say so. I think that idea comes from opera. Yes. In in the sense that, now, of course, opera is sung all the way through. And in many ways, I think that's slightly less ridiculous. Because you've chosen one or the other. Yeah. What do they call it when, they, when, they're, when they're talk singing in the opera? There's a word. Recitative. Right. Okay, there's a word yeah. for that, right? So they basically just took that out and said, ah, we're just going to talk in this part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're actually going to talk rather than sing talk. And where do you think that comes from? Going all the way back to like vaudeville or before, you know, Wild West shows just making, because opera is not necessarily known as being accessible, right? It's kind of hoity-toit. It's kind of elitist. Well, now it is. Um, well, right. But I mean, do you think then that, the, that there was ever a time where the common man was like, hey, I know what would be fun tonight, dear. Let's go. Check out this opera. No, I, d I don't think opera, and perhaps I'm basing this entirely from the movie Amadeus, but which is which <laughs> everyone sort well of information. I'm yeah. I, I feel like I'm embracing my American heritage by learning history through movies. So, but <laughs> no, I don't think opera was ever truly accessible. I think there were composers that tried to make it accessible and would like to make it accessible. Mm -hmm. In Mozart's Magic Flute, he had spoken dialogue, which was quite unique. Mm. And I think an attempt to make it more accessible. And of course, you've got these popular tunes from operas that made it out into the public. And I'm thinking particularly here of Verdi and his arias or solo songs or big chorus numbers, the big ensembles, that were sung by the common man or the average Joe. You know, my favorite thing, my two favorite things about Verdi, his name, Giuseppe Verdi, I believe translates to Joe Green. That's one of my favorite things about Verdi. <laughs> and also that he retired from the theater and became a farmer. He was, he was done with the nonsense of the theater and decided in his old age, I'm done with this. I'm going to become a farmer. <laughs> you admire that, do you? Thoroughly. Because George Washington did the same thing after being a general, you know. He became a farmer? Yes. Did he really? Yes, and then they dragged him out of retirement uh, to be head of the Constitutional Convention and then president. Isn't that inconvenient? He thought so. Dear, dear. So if it, so, maybe opera then was accessible. And I guess, because I'm going to say something, I am not very well studied in theater or musical history at all. And when we talk about, you know, all of these different shows, I'm honestly really just discussing the shows that I've seen. Sure. And truly, 
I haven't seen that many. And when you talk about going to uh, a sea of musical and how great that is, I agree, but there's to to a degree as a person who directs a lot of shows for schools and has performed in shows but has really no training or knowledge of theater background or history at all just hey they're doing this show oh that sounds like fun and then i go and do it well now i know that show but that's like really all that i know sure i kind of think of theater from that as as participatory so when i go to see a show like in playhouse square downtown i actually find it very hard how so? For me, personally. Well, just to be absorbed in the story, because I am usually thinking, ooh, I would. which part would I like to be? I'd really like to be that part. That's a great part. Or, oh, look at the way they stage that. That is really clever and creative. Or I'm staring at the ceiling and I'm trying to figure out you know, where the light is coming from. I mean, for, for someone who directs shows even though you know I'm not doing anything on that level uh, at, at all. I'm usually thinking how things are put together. And so for a show to just sweep me away story-wise is very hard for me to do. I mean, it's, it has to just knock me out. And one of those, and this is going to sound very white bread, but uh, Wicked did that for me. I just thought that was terrific. That's a family favorite. And I just, it was so enjoyable that I was able to really just enjoy the show. Many across the world, of course, have enjoyed Wicked, the 2003 Broadway musical by Stephen Schwartz, music and lyrics by Stevie Schwartz, and book by Winnie Holtzman, based on the 1995 Gregory Maguire book Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West, all related to The Wizard of Oz. And in terms of structure... That is a linear structure, yeah. right? Yeah. Driven. Well, I very much. I, I can I can understand all of that, and I I found I find myself getting distracted by different elements of a theatrical production, but I try and give the production the benefit of the doubt and suspend the reality that I'm living in, mm-hmm. and allow myself to gaze through that fourth wall and participate like I would in a movie. Uh, I wish I could do that better because I, I don't even know that I do that in movies. Yeah. And I don't work with movies at all, but it's still the same, you know, acting and writing. And I, I pay attention to those things. So we're musical. You're a music guy. I'm a theater guy. And uh, we're both guys that like musical theater and yet struggle to enjoy it. Yeah. Well, in, like. in in some in some ways. So I, I do want to return to this idea of why break into song, because I right. get I I get the concept. I think music, the idea of music, can enhance and increase the emotional content of what someone's trying to say, or mm-hmm. elevate the emotional moment, and mm-hmm. you step it up into a glorious song and because you know this emotional moment that can't be conveyed simply and i say simply with a nudge and a wink to all the things that shakespeare managed to do and all the wonderful playwrights in the world um, that can't simply be done through the spoken word it does a couple of things it takes it up a notch if you 
just focus on the lyrics, but it also it can it can refer back to a different idea and take it in a in a different way. I mean, Wagner with all his ideas and his leitmotif ideas, where he would take a theme that was attached to a different character and present them in different ways. And now, of course, you you haven't said a thing. But what you've done is you've taken a theme or a melody and you've twisted it in a different mode. Maybe you've taken it from major to minor in a simple way or, you know, you've, whatever. You've, you could do all sorts of things with it. But you've taken it and turned it and made it something new. And that's something that, that music can do that you can't do easily with lyrics. I mean, you could, you know, if you kind of go James Joyce on things, you could maybe do it sort of on the printed page. But, Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, music and breaking into song, if it's done well, and it makes sense emotionally and dramatically, it can be magnificent. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think of musical soundtracks. I mean, what would Star Wars be without John Williams scoring it? A guy with a breathing problem in an upside down salad bowl. (laughs) <laughs> some cheap effects or something right and then and then it i think of my favorite action movie or the, one of my favorite films of all time raiders of the lost ark and that features the best action scene ever that whole sequence with indiana jones and the truck right i mean if you look oh, at yeah. that sequence that's all wordless nobody says anything he's just busy trying to survive and you know punch nazis which is what you do to Nazis. That's by right. Me, unless there's any equivocation out there. <laughs> you punch him in the face. So <laughs> find a Nazi but in that punch whole, him in the face. In that, fact that yes, that's please. the that has to be a song in a musical. <laughs> Probably I, I you know Let's put it in first lady. Uh, well, I was going to say I was I was going to defer that one to Mel Brooks, but Eleanor Roosevelt could sing. (laughs) Find a Nazi, punch him in the face with like some. We'll see what we can do with that. With some cake, some cakewalk in there a little bit. Perfect. Find a Nazi, punch him in the face. (laughs) But I'll work on that. But you know, if that if that if that sequence did, that's all John Williams' music. It's awesome the music in that sequence. If you rewatch it, and the music changes, which is really great. So. I get that completely. But here, the way I come at it is as someone who writes dialogue, right? Because when we met, I had already written several plays. And as we talked about in the last episode, you asked me, how come you don't have any music in here? Well, because I don't compose music and I don't know how to do that. So I was, I'm was i used to conveying everything that I need to do through dialogue. So when we've done our theater camp shows, which admittedly are pretty pedestrian compared to what we're trying to do here. Usually throwing music in there was just to give kids an opportunity to, to do an additional skill that they hadn't done before, right? And so the song usually was something we just tacked on the end of a scene, and it didn't necessarily advance the plot or, or do anything that, that was communicating something um, you know, beyond the structure of the scene. It was kind of like a tack on. But even so, adding music completely elevated uh, everything that we were doing to the point that some of our later shows, the opening scene is usually the longest scene of our show, which introduces all the characters, and we've taken to musicalizing that entire scene. Now then, when we do that, I think, yes, I think we're advancing the plot and we're introducing characters like the music is functional. But we've never really tried to do anything truly thematic before. No. Uh, 
like we're trying to do with this. So to take the structure question that we've been pontificating about and put it towards first ladies, you got linear structure. You've got the, um, if you're talking like some of the seventies, like the chorus line structure, that was not nonlinear, but, uh, had like an overarching plot device, the audition. Right. And then you've got the completely nonlinear. You've got a series of episodes, things, which is kind of like what assassins is. Yeah. Oh, those are kind of the three types. Yeah, right. right. That you mentioned. Right. So, which of those do you think works for first ladies? Because I believe what we started was a linear show. Yeah, I'm not sure this is necessarily going to work as a linear show. I think that's what I've concluded. Yeah. So, I'd say a couple of things. There's this notion of episodes, um, something like chorus line or working, which I must I must admit actually as a as a show i don't know working i do know chorus line pretty well and while it doesn't have yes a, a, a line through it what it does have is dramatic build and correct the, the the order and i think the success of that other than the fact that uh marvin hamlish's music is amazing right i think the the build and the pacing of the songs and the order of the songs actually reflects the notion of a linear progression in in a in a way that is is not too far away from some sort of traditional structure you know there is this opening number there is this setting setting up the world and this order the world of an audition right so you're creating this thing and then you allow each of these characters to share their moment and it happens in an order that that is you know that works well you have fun things you have sad things you you know you get to know these characters and you start to care you start to care about these individuals even though there's really only uh, you know the plot is kind of a sentence i mean that's what that's what the synopsis is for chorus line right um Kids, a bunch of people audition for a show. Right. And and when they when you get to know them, you don't necessarily get to know everything about them. No. I mean, you get to know some things. Right. Well, it's uh, the same in Assassins. Correct. You get to know enough, right? And I that's, so I think there's a similarity there. Uh, by the way, Chorus Line was my senior show in high school. Oh. Great show. Yeah, I played Paul in that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Hang on, which tell one my does, mom what, my part. What does so. Paul sing? Uh, Paul sings almost nothing. <laughs> he, has, he has a big gay monologue. That's important. It, it was important. Yeah. Significant moment. But it might also be important to tell your parents a little bit more about the show before they come to see uh, it. <laughs> I well. I wanted them to be surprised. Well, she was. I I can imagine. Right. So well, this is how we started, First Ladies, or how I started it. So Assassin's if you take that as a comparison, right? I mean, that has even less structure than Chorus Line has. Because Chorus Line, you've got, it's an audition. And part of the build is, we're going to find out who makes the cut at the end of the show. Right. It's artificial, but it's just, there's a natural structure to that. So you can write whatever you want as a part of that structure. And with that right? show, there's it's very much a vehicle for song and dance. There's, it's, yes. there's no, there, you know, there's nothing hidden about that. It is. It's not artificial. No, it, it is a chorus line. It is a show about making a show. Right. Now, Assassins does a similar thing, 
where we introduce these different people, and it's not necessarily structured linearly, but it does not have an overarching structure. Basically, it begins with a carnival. Uh, have you seen the I, show? I haven't seen the show, but I have read the synopsis. So it begins in a carnival, and you got this carnival barker, and he sings this song called Everybody's Got the Right to Be Happy. Yes. And these assassins just kind of wander in, and they get tricked, you know, they get guns to kind of take, you know, target shooting at this little carnival dartboard or whatever. And that's how he introduces all of these, these assassins. But then after that, they go their separate ways, and we just see them interacting with each other kind of, I don't know, nowhere. You got Squeaky Fromm and Sarah Jane Moore sharing a park bench mostly because those were two ladies who both took pot shots at Gerald Ford. You got Sam Bick uh, basically delivering monologues to Richard Nixon, which he did in, in a lot of his writing, apparently. And then you've got uh, ballads that are dedicated to each of the three assassins that actually succeeded. But that's it. Like, where does the story go? Well, it turns out what they do in the show, spoiler alert, is uh, the assassins all toss the uh, balladeer, who's the narrator, the singing narrator, off stage, and they you see them in the last scene. Uh, they go to the sniper's nest where Lee Harvey Oswald, who has not appeared yet, is about to shoot JFK, and you see him lose his nerve and walk away. And basically, the assassins go Lee Harvey Oswald into it. He, he fires, and then they all leave stage, and then they they reprise the opening number, and that's the end of the show, and that's it. And I just didn't feel like it released. I didn't know what the point of the show was. Uh, we all have the right to be happy too, as we kill people. You know, some uh, some people who, right? I actually had a friend of mine who saw the show and said, "What am I supposed to get out of this show? Am I supposed to feel sorry for these people? They're all garbage, right?" right? And he didn't like it. And if you think of Sondheim and Into the Woods, I mean, people say the same thing. Like. We're, a lot of people leave at intermission and think the show's over. No, there's a whole second act where it's not happily ever after. People are like, gosh, I was fine after the first act, you know? So this, the, this, the issue with first ladies is how do we bring, <clears throat> how do we bring all these first ladies together and, and do something? So this was the device that I came up with. So this is what got you up. Cause we left at a, on a cliffhanger last time right. with the notion right. that, you know, you had actually gotten out of bed Right. And had I did. compelled to write something. So you're going to share yeah, that but, with me now? Um, well, don't you think we should review what we did first that I think failed? Sure. Let's talk about failure. Yes. The thing that united the assassins was like this carnival scene. I thought, well, how could we bring all these first ladies from across time together? What do they have in common? And I thought, the White House. Right. right? What else would it be, even though Martha Washington was never there because the White House wasn't built until the John Adams presidency? But they all pretty much have that in common, and they all have a love-hate relationship with it. So that's where the show starts, in the White House. And the, um, I don't know, the gimmick, I guess you could say, is that all of these first ladies, well, at least the 15 that I picked that I thought were most interesting, start coming gathering in the White House, in the Oval Office. It's clear that you're in the Oval Office. Are they haunting the White House? You know, what are they? Right. I didn't say. They're just gathering. Right. It's a it's a device. And what I came up with is, well, let's let's imagine that uh, there's a transition in administrations, and there's a new one coming in, and the first ladies always come together to give a tutorial to the new 
first lady. Right. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. And so we wrote the whole first scene that way. And then, <laughs> then to take off into the little mini stories like Assassin's does, you may recall, Joe, I had them just launch up the fireplace. I remember a fireplace. (laughs) 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 Which I think I ripped off right out of Harry Potter, basically. They disapparate. Well, yes, that is a fireplace. That is, um, is that the first one? That's the first one. Or the second one. Yeah, the second song, yeah. We, like, up with ladies, and they literally went up. No, I was thinking thinking the second Harry Potter. I think that's that's Uh, Chamber of Secrets, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. I'm, I am... Appalled with myself. You sh- we should be. I mean, if one thing Brits should know, it should be Harry Potter. I remember they say Diagon <laughs> Alley. Yes, I think that's right. So then we were free to take them wherever we wanted. And that's where I thought that it fell apart. Because I came up with these two characters, uh, the, the next first lady's chief of staff and uh, her assistant. And they were the ones that the these first ladies were, were going to help. Because the first lady who was coming in was was busy, which was my cheat to not deal with whoever that was going to be. And so they said, okay, fine, we'll just talk to these these schlubs right. who are overworked and, and nervous, uh, fresh off the inauguration, and we'll take them on these adventures. Well, the problem is, what that did is the, all the rest of the scenes were going to be a different version of first ladies teaching these schlubs things. Which meant every scene was like a history class, which as a historian is the way I was looking at it. And entertainment-wise, I think was kind of a fail. Eh. Right? What? Yeah. And so that's what happened. So what we needed was... I mean, I'm saying I'm, I'm being very dismissive and, of course, contributed <laughs> in no way, shape or form to this creative process. <laughs> no, no. No. You made a couple songs, which I left, and, and they were fine, which we've already discussed had no thematic resonance at all. <laughs> so that's what we have. <laughs> Great. 30 pages of that. And all of it's junk. Well, it wasn't going anywhere. Right. I, I didn't know how it was going to end. Right. How does it end? I didn't know. So basically what we were lacking is I was trying to pull off what Sondheim did in Assassins, which even I thought ended unsatisfactorily. Right. And what we really needed was some kind of overarching structure, like you just said, Chorus Line has, which I hadn't thought about till now, but I think you're right. Uh, it's an audition. So there's a structure there. Yeah. We all understand an audition, then it's going to end. And then you can use that as a platform to learn things. So what got me sitting bolt upright is I thought we need to have some kind of structure that will write itself. And I came up with it. You did. Maybe you'll think it's terrible. Well, but we'll find out <laughs> when when you share this epiphany. So what is – and this is where you'll cue the timpani or drum roll when you add the sound cues, right, yeah, Joe? Sure. This will all be edited in later. Yeah, I might, I might see if I can find a – depending on how I react, um, I'm, I might see if I can find some tragic game show – sound or the loser horns yeah. from the price wah, is right wah, perhaps wah. oh yes it's price is right it's price is right <laughs> yeah. that's right all right so uh, we need a structure that somehow brings all these women together in a way that we would understand uh that we could then get to know them through this structure. we do 
what structure could possibly bring all these women together? Are you asking for my opinion or are you just... Yes. Okay, what structure could bring all of these women together? Some kind of... A bunch of women who don't have really anything in common other than they all want the same thing. I'm at a loss. (laughs) That's why I get the epiphanies, Joe. That's right. A pageant. Oh. Right? Like, who is America's first lady? Oh, now there's an idea. Right? So they all come, we start right from the get-go, hit them with live from Washington, D.C., who is America's first lady? And out they come. They all got their banners on and they got some goofy, you know, accoutrements or whatever on. We do a big group song. We do the parade of first ladies. They each get a second to say who they are. You'll have the cut down. You'll choose the top 15. They go off. Maybe you'll have some little wars in between, like, now while they're getting ready for, uh, you know, pe- the pantsuit competition or whatever it is. <laughs> how how often you is know? Hillary Clinton going to appear <laughs> in this? <laughs> Perhaps frequently. And um, while they're doing that, we're going to award, you know, Miss Congeniality. And you can give an award to a first lady who you wouldn't want maybe to be one of your top characters, but had an interesting I have thing. A question. Right? You could do stuff like that. I have a question. Yes. Is this audience participation? Ooh. Because... Well, that would complete... So it's going to be like Edwin, Edwin Drood now. Yeah, like an Edwin Drood. <laughs> That's exactly right. You choose the ending. You could. You could. You could. We almost got you through this episode without any further explanation, but we thought we'd better mention the mystery of Edwin Drood, the 80s musical written by Rupert Holmes, who also, of course, wrote the Pina Colada song. And based on Charles Dickens' unfinished novel. That's why there's audience participation at the end, because they get to choose the ending. Because I didn't really, like, again, I didn't have an ending. Now, here's here's the ending I had kind of in mind, right? Because once you go with the pageant, well, then you've got the structure, correct? Yes. But at, at some point, we would have to award a first lady. Can we... Now, if it, I, if you, can we Here's here's my one request that we don't jump into this everyone's a winner nonsense. I can't deal with that. Someone's got to win. If someone's got to win. Oh well, then you probably wouldn't have liked my ending. Well, I th- I th- I thought we had an understanding kind- that that. The, the arts is only useful if someone if it's wins. <laughs> well, maybe we can let the audience vote on that. Do you want to have a winner? Or do you want to go with the happy ending? <laughs> and then we'll have a blood sport. Maybe that's it. You choose the two different choices. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Should they duke it out? That's the whole of Act Two. <laughs> right. See, because I kind of imagined it coming down to someone like, you know, virtuous and, and everybody loves like Dolly Madison and like Hillary. Well, clearly everybody loves Hillary. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but she's certainly epic, right? That's true. So, and you know, the host is about to announce it, and you know, we can have this whole dolly like that. Now, hang on a minute. Do we really want to do this? And Hillary's like, "Yes, right." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and all the women are standing around, and you know, maybe some of the more craven ones, like Helen Taft, are like, "Oh, don't be a wuss and open." <laughs> Right. And some of the other ones are like, really, are we really going to do this to ourselves? And we can kind of deal with 
you know, the whole nature of a pageant itself. And I had some possible conclusions there, but that's, I think that is, that's the show. And in the same way, now you don't have to teach everybody everything about everybody. You'll get just enough right. that you'll care, but you won't be The bored. greatest hits. Correct. And here, you mentioned thematic music. Yep. Well, when we do the opening number and we go chronologically through the first ladies, there should be definitely a theme mm-hmm. that will come in each you know, in between at the beginning and end and in between each grouping of first ladies. But, you know, you know, maybe Martha Washington up through uh, Dolly Madison, you know, it's a classical theme. Then maybe it's a little Stephen Foster-ish, mm-hmm. right? And then maybe it's a little Victorian. Then you got some jazz age, then some big band, and then some rock and roll, and then some rapping first ladies, and there you go. Or the, or the whole thing's hip-hop, because that hasn't been done yet. <laughs> right, right. Right, a historical musical that's all hip hop. Right. Brand. That's a brilliant idea. Yes. Has anyone thought of it? I don't Jeff? think so. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe we'll do that. <laughs> so, what do you think then about my structural epiphany? I love it. Is it one or is it a is it a fail? Two thumbs all the way up. I knew it. Isn't that exciting? Yes. Okay. So then, our next job is to talk about who our characters are we should pin who are th- yeah we, who are the first ladies who are going to be there yeah we should pin that at down. the finish yes i think that will be the next episode because honestly when i look at the ladies i picked for my top 15 uh in our original show they are with this new idea they are not the ones that i would pick now hmm. and i think i'd like to talk to you about that also we should do that well, let's let's All audition right. our first ladies next time. Okay, that will be yes. I, I'm excited. I about love that. it. Okay. Well, I I think that is a wonderful place to pause while we reflect on. Good grief! All the information that we have shared, or all the thoughts that we've had, yeah, that's in a this lot. episode. Yeah, it is. But that's a that's a breakthrough, Joe. That is a breakthrough. <laughs> See, I knew this podcast was going to be a good idea. <laughs> All right, structure accomplished. Well, congratulations. Um, my name's Joe. And my name's Steve. And you've been listening to Two Fools Trying to Make a Music. Join us for more foolishness at twofoolstrying.com. Like us on Facebook and follow at Two Fools Trying on Instagram and Twitter.